If the Catholic Church has the Eucharist wrong, we've got it all wrong. Those were the words with which our RCIA presenter began his talk on the Eucharist. My wife and I didn't miss the emphasis on the absolute centrality of the Eucharist in Catholic understanding and life. And coming from a Protestant tradition, I had to pause and chew on the assertion, just like we're about to do on the show today. The Inner Life starts now. Helping you grow deeper on your spiritual journey. Welcome to The Inner Life with Patrick Conley. Welcome to The Inner Life, where each day we're striving to help you live out your life of faith today. I'm Patrick Conley. Source and summit of the Christian life, the wellspring from which the church draws her life, body, blood, soul, and divinity. You don't have to get very far into Catholic teaching on the Eucharist before you are confronted with its centrality. Indeed, it is so foundational that our RCIA presenter could rightly claim, if we Catholics have the Eucharist wrong, we've got it all wrong. Today, we're focusing in on this sacrament of sacraments, this great gift that Jesus gives to his church to constitute the church and nourish it in its life and mission, his very body, blood, soul, and divinity. Do you have questions about the Holy Eucharist or maybe about receiving communion? Has Eucharistic adoration been a part of your spiritual development? Maybe you're not a Catholic and you have questions about the Catholic teaching on the Eucharist. If you have comments or questions on the Eucharist, give us a call. Let's start out the conversation well today. 888-914-9149. Again, 888-914-9149. Guiding us on this important discussion today on the Most Holy Eucharist is none other than the very RCIA presenter that began his presentation to our RCIA class with those words. If we've got the Eucharist wrong, we've got it all wrong. Father Joseph Johnson. Father Joseph is pastor of Holy Family Catholic Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota, part of the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis. Welcome back, Father Joseph. Do you remember give, delivering those words to us about a dozen years ago? Thank you, Patrick. I didn't think anyone was paying attention. But... <laughs> Very good. I'm, I'm glad I got your attention. Somebody that, was, that's what yeah. yeah. Somebody I, was paying attention is just what I was saying, yeah. Yeah, you know, it it's we we just can you know, the Eucharist could just be like one more thing on our yeah, yeah, yeah on our on our road to becoming Catholic or our our road of living out what it means to get a yeah, yeah, check box whatever. No, 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 no. It's not. Uh, because it, it is a him. It's it's not something from God. It's the very presence of God himself in our midst. And why is the Eucharist central to Catholics? Because the Eucharist is Jesus. And I, I remember vividly myself, uh, Father John Harden, a great uh, elderly Jesuit yeah. who has gone home to God uh, at the very end of the great Jubilee of the year 2000. But, uh, but for those who, who knew him, he traveled constantly around the country giving missions and retreats and all this. And I remember the first time I, I attended a presentation, he said, the Holy Eucharist is Jesus. He said, the verb is, is the only verb you can use. The Holy Eucharist is Jesus. So there we go. We've got 
uh, the centrality of the Eucharist to Catholics, because Jesus is central to Catholics, you know, and right. not not a historical memory about Jesus, uh, not just some teachings from Jesus, not even some blessings from Jesus, but Jesus present right here, right now. That's that's the mystery of the Holy Eucharist, and that's why it's everything. Yeah, I mean it's hard to it's hard to argue with something like that. I mean, isn't it? If if Jesus has given himself to us under the species of bread and wine, he's given himself to us and he is present there in the tabernacle, he's present in the monstrance, he's present in this holy sacrifice in the mass and he is present in reception of communion. How could that be anything but central and foundational to all that we have, believe, do, think, pray? seems like it just is a foregone conclusion that this is... And would you say, Father, that this is precisely the reason why Jesus gives himself to us in this way? Yes. I mean, it's, you know, you know, too often we think about going to Mass as a, just a, simply a rule uh, given by God. And instead of, no, no, going to Mass means going to be with God, to encounter God who comes to us in love. And and that's why it's not breaking a rule to skip Sunday Mass. It's failing to love. Uh, you know, Jesus tells us, you know, keep holy my day, and I myself am going to come. And the way I want you to keep the day holy is to spend it with me, to welcome me into your life, to welcome me into your heart. That's what going to Sunday Mass is. And if you ask any Catholic, you don't have to be very theologically sophisticated to simply say, yeah, what do we do as Catholics? Well, we go to Mass. I mean, that's, you know, if, if you had to say what, what defines us, uh, you know, that's, that's what Catholic life looks like is, is, yeah, you go to Mass. It's not uh, any old worship service. It's not, you know, uh, some Bible study. All those things are good and all, but... But there's something different. We Catholics go to Mass, even though we may also do Bible studies, even though we may also have praise and worship services. But going to Mass is something different because it's Jesus himself who comes to us. Who says this right in the Scriptures. You want, you want why we Catholics believe this? It's not unscriptural. It is the most plain-faced interpretation of the Scriptures. Jesus says, this is my body, this is the chalice of my blood, do this in memory of me. He gave a command at the Last Supper. And those first Christians heard that, understood it as a command, and understood the mystery, although not until after the resurrection. And that's a great thing. I don't know, Patrick, if you've seen, and and I, I doubt many have seen it, because I just got my copy this week, Pope Benedict XVI, has what they call his last writings, uh, some some a thin volume of some essays that there were only to be published after he died, and in there's just a little 14-page you know essay on the Holy Eucharist, and as I'm reading it, I'm like, wow, there's some great insights, and one of them is that the Protestants call uh, the Eucharist the Lord's Supper. They rarely talk about the Eucharist. They may talk about communion, but it's usually the Lord's Supper. It's usually not done weekly. It's it's maybe done sometimes only once a year, right? And it, but it doesn't have any centrality at all. And and Pope Benedict pointed out 
for Catholics, it's, we don't primarily identify, identify this as the Lord's Supper. From the very beginning, when did Catholics, when did the first Christians celebrate the Eucharist? Not at supper time, hmm. but in the morning. Hmm. You say, why the morning? Because that was resurrection time. Uh, right. Jesus appeared on the first morning, you know, uh, and, and that's what this is. It's not simply historical memory about Jesus at the Last Supper with the Twelve. It is the risen Lord Jesus. We encounter him in the morning because that's when he came, the, the resurrection, you know, that Easter Sunday morning. And that's why our, our church services used to be only in the morning. You know, or deep in the middle of the night as, a, as an anticipation of the morning. Sure. And that's uh, even to, for a night person like myself, uh, I would say the resurrection of Jesus is worth getting up for. <laughs> you, can put that, you can put that on a bumper sticker or something like right. that. <laughs> right. And, and worth giving up, whatever. Well, right. we've got company in town and I'm busy. Oh, the kids are at a sports tournament and, you know, it's inconvenient to try and get to met. You know, or, you know, you know, whatever it is, I just want to be a couch potato today. No, no, it's it's something worth going to because it's Jesus himself who's there, who wants not just to see us, but to give himself to us in love. Our spiritual director today, Father Joseph Johnson, pastor of Holy Family Catholic Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. We're talking about the Eucharist, the source and summit of the Christian life. Are you devoted to the Eucharist? Do you have a practice of Eucharistic devotion and adoration? Do you receive the Eucharist frequently? If you have, and that's been a boost to your spiritual life, and you can tell the story about that, we'd love to hear it. 888-914-9149. Maybe you do have a question, too, about something about the Church's teaching on the Eucharist or on receiving communion. It's a great place to ask the question. 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And our email address is innerlifeatrelevantradio.com. Well, Father, maybe one of the things that you can clarify uh, is the difference. Now, I know the sacraments, the seven sacraments that the Church celebrates, I mean, um, in a sense, and then even beyond that, we say we know that there are there is the presence, quote-unquote, of Christ in, in various aspects. There's a presence of Christ in, well, in you, in a priest, right? Um, there's a presence of Christ in the gathered assembly. There's a presence of Christ in the poor. There's a presence of Christ in his word. There's a presence of Christ in the altar, you know, in all these different ways. But how do those presences differ from the presence uh, and presence of Christ in the other sacraments as well? But how do they all differ from the presence of Christ given to us in the Holy Eucharist? Well, Patrick, it's a great question, and I think it is something that we struggle with. Uh, you know, let me just say, our listeners, right now, we are present to them through the radio waves or the digital bits that go through their phone's app, uh, the relevant radio app. That, yep. but However they're listening to it, uh, we are present to them. Uh, but that's not the same thing uh, as if we were all sitting together in the same room face-to-face. Right. You know, and we know that. How can I communicate? Well, I can send somebody an email, a text message. I could even write something out and stick a stamp on it and send it in the the old fashioned snail mail. Uh, I can call someone or I can go and see them. 
right? And and when I see them, I can, you know, I could knock on the door and I and I and I can say, you know, uh, we're just going to talk through the door, or or maybe we open the door but leave the screen there, you know, or we walk in, sit down together in the living room face to face, you know. There are different ways that we can be present to one another, and they depict uh, different levels of intimacy. Mm-hmm. Right there's a yeah. there's an immediacy and an intimacy uh, that grows. Now the the intimacy and the immediacy don't always parallel exactly. You know it could be that I'm face to face with someone, but I feel pretty distant from that someone. Uh, you know in my heart. You know so so there are people we can go to church and still you know have be in a state of sin and and say I'm distant from God, right yeah. or. Oh, we can be far away and say, "I wish I could get to church, but but I can't. I'm I'm sick. I'm at I'm, I'm at home and in, in bed. But I have this intimacy with Christ because I know His love for me, right? And I want to give myself and love to Him. But what's best is when both of them align, right? Is that that yes, my heart is moving closer to Christ, and so is my body. I'm I'm able to physically be uh, with the Lord who who comes to us. You know, Jesus doesn't want to be a distant historical personage. Jesus doesn't want to be an abstract concept, a theological idea. Yeah, somewhere floating up there is this, uh, you know, God, and he, and he says he loves us. You know, no, Jesus doesn't want us to be envious of those that lived 2,000 years ago. Oh, if only I could have been there, you know. No, Jesus gives himself to us now. Uh, and 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 here in the great gift of the Eucharist, so an immediacy and an intimacy are possible through this because God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows that that we have senses, and He wants to speak to us. We're incarnate beings, uh, you know, and and so we we through our sight, through our touch, through our taste, you know, through our hearing. We experience the world, and and Christ wants to come to us in a way that we can understand. He he wants to be present to us, still in a mystery. Yeah, but 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 coming close to us nonetheless. Of course, great thoughts, Father. Really helpful. Really appreciate that. And uh, we're let's take a phone call actually before we uh, go to our first break. Kelly is calling in from Manchester, Tennessee. Kelly, thanks for calling into the Inner Life. I have a question about uh, Eucharistic miracles. Um, all of them that I know about have been proven to be a part of the tissue of a heart of a man about that age. We know his blood type, and his heart is beating, and his white blood cells are active because he's injured, and I'm confused by that if the Eucharist is the risen Lord. Mm, that's a good, good uh, insight. Thank you. Uh, you know, science, modern science, technology, medical technology is helping us to, to appreciate different things. So what I'd ask you to think about is this. When we think about the risen Lord Jesus, he is glorified. His body is glorified such that those, those disciples on the road to Emmaus didn't even recognize him. Right, so so there is a transformation that that happens uh, in the resurrection. Uh, he, he is glorified, but 
when Doubting Thomas says, oh, I'm not going to believe it's really him until I can put my fingers in the, the hole in his side and probe the nail holes, you know, of his hands. Jesus appears and says, okay, here it is, do it. Jesus still bears his wounds in his glorified body. You know, in, in fact, uh, I remember having my mind blown away when one of my professors said, what's the only man-made thing in heaven? And the answer is the wounds of Christ. Wow. So, so our, 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 our Savior is glorified, but he still bears his wounds. So, you know, it, a Eucharistic miracle is a Eucharistic miracle. I'm not going to, to split hairs on, on whether I think all of these miraculous things should happen this particular way or that particular way. That miracle is uh, encapsulating both the passion and resurrection and of course, that's what the, the, the Holy Eucharist is. It's the whole Paschal mystery. It's not just, you know, Christ in, in glory. You know, so many Protestants say, oh, why do you have crucifixes? We have an empty cross, and maybe you put uh, a white, you know, fabric on it to show it's, it's, the, it's, it's an empty cross. Christ is risen. He's left the cross. We say, well, Christ still has his wounds, even in glory. Uh, that, that the Eucharist, you know, is instituted at the Last Supper, which is before his Passion. How can Christ give us his body in the Eucharist? Because he gave us his body on the cross. And so it's all connected. The, the, when we speak of the Paschal Mystery, we're talking about everything from Holy Thursday through Easter Sunday. We're talking about the Last Supper. We're talking about the Passion. We're talking about the Resurrection. All together, it's one mystery. Or even we could say it's one moment. You know, because technically, uh, we think about those liturgies of Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and the Easter Vigil. They they don't really end and are concluded, and then we start a new one. They just kind of trail off. You know, there's there's no you know dismissal per se. It's they're three parts of the same mystery, and and we we celebrate them liturgically, spread out over three days. But we talk about as one mystery, as one. Uh, supreme moment, the high point of all human history. Everything before it was building up to that moment. Everything since is flowing from that moment. Uh, and so something in that miracle that you're talking about is is simply reflecting that, the, the, the unity of the Paschal mystery. But very observant. Thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, great call, Kelly. Thank you for thank you for that question on the Most Holy Eucharist. We're entertaining all your questions on the Most Holy Eucharist today as we're speaking with our spiritual director, Father Joseph Johnson, on the Most Holy Eucharist. If you have a question about the Church's teaching on the Eucharist or about re- proper reception of communion, or if you have an observation to make about how something like Eucharistic adoration or reception of communion, maybe you remember your first communion and that had a profound impact upon you, uh, spiritually, then give us a call. Let us know. Ask the question. Tell us the story. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Again, eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. Or send us an email. Inner life at relevantradio dot com. We're headed into our first break here on the show, but there's still lots more to come as we continue this discussion about the source and summit of the Christian life. If we've got the Eucharist wrong, we've got it all wrong. Words from our spiritual director, Father Joseph Johnson. More with the inner life coming up right after this.
Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, invites you to check out The Quest, a five-episode video series on discovering our purpose and living it with courage. Start watching The Quest for free at relevantradio.com slash quest. Sweet sacrament we adore Oh, make us Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio, RelevantRadio.com, and the Relevant Radio app. My name is Patrick Conley. Our spiritual director today is Father Joseph Johnson, pastor of Holy Family Catholic Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota, and we're talking about the Most Holy Eucharist. But before we get back into that, Father, I wanted to make sure and wish you a happy St. Clair's Day today, Memorial of St. Clair. What can you tell us? Can you give us a little insight into her life? Well, thanks. Yes. You know, St. Clair is that uh, lovely, aristocratic young lady from the same town, Assisi, as St. Francis. And hearing about uh, what Francis was doing, seeing Francis uh, in the streets and how he had been from this prosperous family and given it all up and seeing his joy and how he dedicated himself to the Lord, Claire said, well, well, I want some of that. You know, and, and she was, of course, supposed to be married off to another noble. And, of course, that's how families made alliances back in those days, you know, that, that uh, we, we get ahead by marrying our children, uh, uh, children off to others and, and uh, have these financial and sometimes military alliances that way. But uh, Claire escaped from her family because she didn't want that. She wanted to give herself totally to Christ. And so what we find in, in Claire's life is, is the centrality of the Eucharist. That's why I thought it'd be nice for us to talk about the Holy Eucharist today. Uh, her family came looking for her, and eventually they found uh, this monastery where Francis had hidden her, and they bust in and say, we're dragging you home, literally dragging. She wasn't going to come willingly. Wow. And so she ran into the chapel, and she, she held on to the altar, and they're like, well, that's not going to do any good. And they walk up to her, these big guys, and they start pulling on it. They can't pull her away. Mm. All these big men together can't pull her away. Wow. And so eventually they realize they're fighting God. You know, they should be able to take this young lady and carry her off. And they can't. So they left her. And for me, the the, the profound you know, legacy of Eucharistic faith that she gives me, I always think that if I cling to the altar, where Jesus is present here on the altar, then nothing of the world can shake me. Mm. You know, if I just cling to Jesus' presence on the altar. Mm-hmm. And then a, another great Eucharistic moment from, from St. Clair's life, the, uh, the Saracens were invading Italy uh, and so these are, this is a Muslim army and they're raiding and they were pillaging and doing all sorts of bad things. And Assisi is a walled city, but, but, you know, there were walled cities that were falling to this army, but San Damiano, where St. Clair lived, was outside the walls of the city. It, it didn't even have that protection. And so St. Clair's like, really, Lord, you're, you know, we, you know, she and, and the other few women that had dedicated joined her to dedicate their lives to, to Christ as his brides, uh, you know, 
really, you're going to let your brides be out here and, and be subject to this invasion. And so she took the Holy Eucharist uh, up on, on the walls uh, where the, the you know, invading army was coming, and they turned away. Hmm. You know, there's a Eucharistic miracle for you. The invading army, uh, you know, the, the presence of Christ in, in Claire's hands, uh, they turned away. And, and the, the sisters were left undisturbed. And that's why very often St. Clair is shown with a monstrance in her hands uh, because of that particular miracle. So, uh, again, that, that the presence of Christ can turn away from us all that could harm us. Yeah. You know, not that we won't suffer, uh, but, but that God preserves us even in the midst of suffering. Yeah. Such great insights to be gained from the saints' lives, and particularly through, as you were saying, Father, and appropriate for today, St. Clair's dedication to the altar, to the Eucharist, to the Holy Sacrifice and the Mass, to this source and summit of our Christian life that we're talking about right now. Let's go back to the phones now. Eckerd has been waiting patiently, calling in from Denver, Colorado. Eckerd, thanks for calling in, and thanks for waiting. Thank you. Um, I have a question. I'm not a Catholic, but I... Um I've been thinking a lot about, uh, I've been listening to relevant radio a lot, and I can see that the Eucharist is actually something that that divides um, Catholics and non-Catholics. And um, the question I have is, how can it be Jesus himself if he stands next to it? You know, when he administered the Eucharist, and the second question is, how can the Lord be closer to us than through the Holy Spirit? Um, why would I take a piece of bread and say, uh, now he is really close in that bread? Doesn't the bread, isn't the bread in danger of becoming something like a golden calf, where I put my trust in something I see? So in the end, it's not... It's not Jesus himself who would divide us, but it's something that he installs, like like the bread itself. Do you know what I mean? I mean, when I celebrate the Eucharist or communion, <clears throat> for me, it's um, I'm reminded of the what he did for us on the cross, and I'm giving a hope that one day I will be really celebrating with him and be together with him. And so why would Jesus install something that divides the Christian Christian church? And, um, you know, it's, it's almost like with the Jews, the circumcision, sacrifices. Jesus says, hey, that's not it. It's about the heart. You know, the kingdom of God is not something where you say, here, there it is. And, uh, You've got a great insight, and and uh, and and you know, thank you for for bringing that up. It, it is Jesus Himself we think of as 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 the one. We said, why would He want to divide us? But actually, go to John chapter six, the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Saint John, and there is the bread of life discourse. You know, I am the living bread come down from heaven. Now, wherever Jesus used the I am formula. It's always take note of this. I am. I am the bread of life come down from heaven. Uh, and 
and people are going, whoa, this is kind of strange. And, and Jesus doubles down and says, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And they go, oh, this is cannibalism. Oh, and he says, unless you eat of my flesh, unless you drink of my blood, you will not have eternal life. Right. So they were freaked out. So it's, I'm not surprised that, that you and I can still kind of be puzzled by this and, and, and uh, maybe even grossed out. Like, what is he talking about? And what we're told is that many left him. These are the same people that ate the bread that he had multiplied, the loaves and fishes he'd multiplied. They'd eaten. They knew he had power because they'd seen it. They'd experienced that miracle. And still he divides he doesn't unite. He divides. You're going to believe this or not follow me. And they left him. It says right there, many left him and followed him no more. And then he turns to the 12. And of course, what often happens when Jesus t- teaches in parables, he then turns to the 12 and says, this is what I really mean. Right? But he doesn't do that here. He turns them and says, what about you? You going to leave too? Because he he's not going to soften his teaching at all. And they go, uh, well, uh, you know, where else would he go, Lord? You know, you're, you're the one. And they were just as confused and just as maybe grossed out, but they were going to stay. So that's, that's what we have here is that, that Jesus, right in his own ministry, puts the Eucharist as a point of division. You're right. It is division. But it's a division from Christ himself. So what you talk about is bread at, at, at the Holy Eucharist. If it was bread, then you're right. It would be in danger of becoming a golden calf or an idol or something like that. But it, for us, it's not bread. Because Jesus doesn't say, this is something from me. He says, this is my body. And so the Catholic belief is not a symbolic representation. That it is. And you say, well, how can that be? Well, you know what? Let me ask you this. Who of us, if we were designing the plan for salvation, would say the Savior is going to be born in a dumpy stable in an insignificant village uh, on the frontier of the Roman Empire? Is this God? A baby in a manger in a stable in Bethlehem? That doesn't make sense. Is this God hanging, bruised and beaten, dying on the cross? So let's be clear, the way God makes his plan is not at all how you and I make our plans. So if it confuses you, great. It confuses all of us. We wouldn't have designed it that way. But we have to listen to his words, and he did design it that way. And he's pretty clear on it, both with the incarnation. You know, why didn't he just stay in heaven and just send us the Holy Spirit? No. No. And of course, when you speak about the Holy Spirit, Yes, you're talking about the closest. It's the Holy Spirit that transforms the bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. That's what happens in the masses. We call down the Holy Spirit. We say, Lord, send down your Holy Spirit upon these gifts. So, so it's not something opposed to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is involved in, in all of this. 
so I think you're you're making great insights and all, and and I can see it's it's still a struggle and all that. So I just want to say I'm going to pray for you and and please keep talking to people, keep listening, keep learning, because I think those those pieces of the puzzle are are there, but you have to let the grace of God you know, bring you to a, to a fuller acceptance and understanding of that. And if we can be of any help to do that, I, I want to be there for you. Eckerd, thank you so much for the phone call and the great questions. And it is, I mean, let's be honest, we're not used to God becoming man uh, just in our human experience. Again, like you said, Father Joseph, that plays with our sensibilities and our our rationality to a degree, but then even God becoming bread uh, just doesn't seem more, actually, I should say it the other way around, shouldn't I? Bread becoming God, um, that's not something that we can wrap our minds around either. So it is, I mean, it is rightfully still a mystery, but not one that, uh, that, that ultimately, well, not one that brings us to a place of, of uh, just shrugging our soldier, shoulders and saying, well, all right, that's it. I guess I, if I can't understand it, I'm going to, I'll be distanced from Christ, um, but one that actually draws us, invites us into a deeper relationship with the Lord. And, and that's why St. Paul would write and say, you know, right. don't eat or drink of this unworthily because you eat and drink right. condemnation upon yourself. That is, if your heart isn't united to Christ, then don't receive the Eucharist because that's Christ. You know, it's not a symbol of Christ. A symbol can't bring you condemnation. Uh, but St. Paul is saying this this can bring you condemnation if you receive it unworthily. Hmm. Yeah, something to always keep in mind as we present ourselves to receive Holy Communion. We're talking about the Holy Eucharist here on The Inner Life today with our spiritual director, Father Joseph Johnson. If you have questions about the proper reception of Holy Communion, if you have questions about the Church's teaching on the Holy Eucharist, or if you have a story about what the Eucharist has meant in your own life of faith, give us a call, 888-914-9149 is our phone number here at The Inner Life, 888-914-9149. Our email address, if you prefer, is innerlife at relevantradio.com. Father, let's, uh, as we're moving on and coming up on a second break here, but uh, just wanted to, wanted to get your opinion, specifically if we've been Catholic for a long time, and I've been Catholic for 13 years now, so not a hugely long time, but long enough where um, I can see where the Eucharist, the Mass, if I'm not careful, if I'm not reflective, if I'm not intentional, um, it can be. Just they become kind of just a routine. Um, how might you encourage people to to foster a devotion to the Eucharist when understanding about the Eucharist has just become perhaps somewhat of a routine? Yes, I mean, of course, that's the danger in any relationship is that we can go on cruise control. Right. Right. Every wife's complaint, uh, you know, uh, I say every wife. I say the most frequently heard complaint that wives have about their husbands is where did the romance go? Mm. Right now, I'm sure your wife has never made that complaint, but uh, <laughs> you know, relationships can get in a rut. You know, relationships can get stagnant. Uh, that's, that's true of our, our relationships with one another as fellow humans. It's true of our relationship with God that, that if we, we don't tend to it, uh, that it can just become going through the motions. It can just be apathy or inertia that just carries us uh, along the same direction. 
Uh, it's different than what we want to talk about when we say there, there are spiritual trials and dryness and aridity. That doesn't necessarily mean something's defective. It's a purification, right? So it's, that's different. But uh, for the, this being on cruise control, that's, that's something I'm doing wrong, that, that I am not conscious of, of the reality, the immense reality of Christ here in, in my presence. Uh, and that's where gratitude, the word Eucharist means literally gratitude, thanksgiving. Yeah. You know, don't take it for granted, you know, take it with gratitude, mm. right? So, so how can I always be thankful for the opportunity to come close to Jesus in the Eucharist? Uh, gratitude will, will carry us past uh, any sort of coldness or, or apathy uh, towards the Lord. It's a constant realization. This is a gift that I've been given of Jesus's love. Yeah, yeah, and gratitude is so central as well in our appreciation of our relationship with the Lord because of His great generosity. One that I've heard you say so many times, Father, that God will not be done outdone in generosity. So wonderful. And how uh, and how yeah, backwards that we how backwards we think about Sunday Mass as a burden. I've got yeah. to go to Mass. You know, <laughs> you know, I have an obligation to go to Mass. Yeah. Do you, do you talk about that with your, with your, with your, you know, spouse or girlfriend or boyfriend, whatever? I've got to go be loved by my spouse. You know, <laughs> you know that's just stupidity, right? Uh, you know, but yeah. as long as we think about our faith as something as a formula, as a set of principles, rather than, than a per, the, the person of Jesus Christ, the divine person of Jesus Christ coming to me in love. And when I remember at the Last Supper, Jesus says, I call you my friends. So prayer is about spending time with my friend. It's about deepening that friendship. How do we go from being strangers to acquaintances, to, to friends, to best friends? We spend time. We invest in one another. Right. We invest in the relationship. And that's what our prayer life is. Spending time deepening friendship with Christ. And that's what we've got to keep keep that awareness. And that's what keeps the gratitude and, and the love alive. Mm. So good, Father, so good. And we are talking with our spiritual director, Father Joseph Johnson, about the Most Holy Eucharist. If you do have a question about the Church's teaching on the Eucharist or the proper reception of communion, if you have an ex- a Eucharistic experience that you would like to share, maybe you remember just being drawn to the Eucharist in a tremendously powerful way for the first time. Tell us that story, 888 again, 888 We're going to be back with more of The Inner Life right after this with more on Most Holy Eucharist. Stay with us. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, invites you to check out The Quest, a five-episode video series on discovering our purpose and living it with courage. Start watching The Quest for free at relevantradio.com slash quest. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. My name is Patrick Conley. My thanks to Nick Sentovich, our producer, and Thomas Engesser fielding your phone calls as we're talking about the Most Holy Eucharist with our spiritual director, Father Joseph Johnson. If you do have a Eucharistic experience that has helped us deepen your faith life, give us a call, 888 914 9149 
888-914-9149. Or if you have questions regarding the church's teaching on the Eucharist, 888-914-9149. Let's go back to the phones now. Kathy is calling in from Fort Worth, Texas. Kathy, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, I just heard Father Joe's uh, response to the young man who called about the um, you know, the division that, that Jesus would put, you know, uh, with the Eucharist. And I just wanted to comment, um, one of the most incredible books I've ever read is is by Dr. Brant Petrie called Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. Yes, I know it. I, I gave it out to my parishioners. Oh, it's just, it's just so enlightening. I mean, even for all of us who've been Catholics our whole lives, just to to make that link between um, the manna that fell from heaven um, and the bread of the presence. And, you know, we always think, well, why did Jesus, you know, give us bread and, and wine? You know, why not um, a lamb or, you know, some, why that symbolism? And, and Dr. Petrie just uh, makes it so clear why, why he gave us bread um, in the end before he left us. And it's just a beautiful book. I would highly recommend it. I think probably every Catholic should read that. But I would also like to ask, too, Father, um, I have so many Catholic friends who leave the church for a quote-unquote Bible church, um, mostly because they get their feelings hurt somewhere along the way. But they seem to be leave the church and then become really on fire with just the Bible. And so it leaves me kind of scratching my head sometimes saying, okay, so why wasn't the Eucharist, when they were receiving it, being more impactful um, in their life? And when I, when I meet with them, you know, at coffee or something, and, they, and they're like, oh, well, you know, I don't need the Eucharist, I have the Bible. You know, what is, what is your thought on that, and how, how would you approach that kind of question from people who have left the Church? Well, I think, Kathy, as you noted, it's often some wound that's there that causes people to leave the Church. Uh, and uh, maybe, again, if they had a deeper understanding of the mystery of the Eucharist, they, they'd put up with the wound and not leave, but... But we are all fragile. Uh, we're all living in this broken world, and, and you know relationships are messy. And so sometimes something goes awry, uh, and, and you do uh, feel that, that you don't want to be there anymore in that place of hurt. Uh, well, then, you know, if Christ calls you back to himself through a Bible church or something like that, then we say, okay, the Lord can write through zigs and zags and, and all. And if you really get on fire for the Bible, you end up like Scott Hahn coming into the church, not leaving. <laughs> you know, uh, the, 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 the Bible is, is, is the word of, of God that, that, that leads us to God himself in the Eucharist. Uh, so they're not opposed to, to, to one another. And, of course, if you learn a little bit about church history, you begin to see this. You know, how did the first Christians understand the Eucharist? How did the first Christians treat the Bible? You know, you find St. Augustine, you know, even Martin Luther had this great respect for St. Augustine. St. Augustine says the Eucharist is unlike other food. It, It doesn't become part of me. I become more part of him. Right? Well, okay. That's, that's around the year 400. You know, this, this is not some medieval uh, accretion. This is how those first generations of Christians uh, were believing in the Eucharist. And, and so that's, 
that's where we, we get the lived experience of generation after generation of Christians. We get the writings of some of these great uh, fathers of the church from those early centuries, and they all line up with the Catholic understanding. Uh, so so that's, that's where we've got to, to help people kind of step back and see the bigger picture. But again, sometimes it's something personal that led people out of the church. And therefore, what we don't need is, is you know, simply to fill their mind. We've got to have some healing in the heart uh, in order to, to soften what was an, became an obstacle to them uh, staying within the church and, and uh, living this great mystery of, of Eucharistic love. Yeah. I want to wax on that a little bit more too, Father. But first, let me say to Kathy, thank you so much for the call, Kathy, and thank you for the book recommendation. We'll have our producer, Nick, who will link that in the show notes uh, that you can find at relevantradio.com slash inner life. And thank you for the question too. It's a great question specifically um, in and around, uh, yeah, those who have experienced the Eucharist and, and left for whatever reason. Um, and of course, we want that that healing that you were talking about, Father. And specifically, I wanted to to take the last few minutes here of the program, certainly to talk about, of course, in response, in partially in response to this Pew Research study that showed that just about a third of U.S. Catholics agree that the Eucharist is the body and blood of Christ it's himself. Um, then, you know, there's this necessity or it brought about this idea for this Eucharistic revival that we've got going on right now, culminating in a Eucharistic Congress happening next July, and just everybody... Uh, Show Up for Jesus is what we're talking here on Relevant Radio as the premier sponsor of that Congress as well. But, Father, just what you were saying is that it's it's about more. It is about understanding, of course, Jesus is teaching that this is his body and blood, that this is my body, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. But it is about more than that as well. Do you want to talk about that some, Father? Well, and that's the thing. I think, you know, the bishops obviously were alarmed by the surveys, and, and it wasn't just one survey. We've seen this trend over the past, you know, 20, 30 years through various surveys. But I think if we reworded the survey, we get a, a slightly different result. If you said to people, the Catholic Church teaches that the Holy Eucharist is the body and blood of Christ and not merely a symbol, do you agree or disagree? I think we get more people to agree. Okay, uh, I think sure. that, that maybe there's not a rich deep theological understanding of the Eucharist, but like uh, most people can say, yeah, I agree with the Church on that. They might not agree with the Church on all the moral issues as much, but on the, on the doctrinal issues, I think most you get a higher result than the, the 30% or whatever. But, but if we simply get the right answer about transubstantiation, uh, we're not reviving anything. We, we, we need a Eucharistic life. What does it look like? We live differently when Christ himself is dwelling within us in the Eucharist, uh, when our, our, our souls are made a temple of God through baptism, that presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, Eckerd was talking about, you know, we, we have that, and, and Jesus comes to us in the Eucharist. We're going to live differently. Mother Teresa of Calcutta said, the only reason I can serve Christ in the poor is I, I encounter him first in the Eucharist, and then I go and find him in the poor, you know. Uh, right. And so, so there's this, it's a different way of life. And t- if we want to really revive our Eucharistic faith, we have to revive confession. If this is really Jesus, I can't just kind of casually traipse in there uh, with my sins. You know, the, the, the joke was that before the Second Vatican Council, everybody went to confession and, and very few people went to, to communion. 
And now it's the opposite. Everybody goes to Holy Communion and very few people go to confession. No, if, if I'm going to have a Eucharistic revival, I have to have a revival of the, Holy, of the Sacrament of Confession, too. I have to prepare myself for an encounter with God himself. And that means repenting of my sins. And, and, and not being nonchalant about, yeah, maybe once a year or so. No, 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 no. I, I want to be at my best for every encounter with Christ. So, you know, I recommend to people monthly, you know, unless you're really struggling with a powerful addiction or, or some of that, then maybe more frequently. But, uh, but we can't just every once in a long while go to confession and think that I'm living a Eucharistic life. I'm not preparing myself uh, the, the deep, profound way that I need to, to receive my Savior. Father, just personally, I remember one time uh, when you were talking about something on your wish list, you, you, you were saying that as you were up front distributing communion, you wish you could have like a state of grace indicator that people would pass <laughs> through. <laughs> Which, I, I mean, it make light of it, but, uh, but it, it ties nicely in and seriously with what you were just saying, that yes, there is, and all the sacraments, right, are ordered toward the Eucharist. You just did a great job of explaining how confession specifically is a Eucharistic sacrament, uh, even though it's a, it's a separate sacrament in its own right, but it is so necessarily tied in with the Holy Eucharist. And that's, and that's the thing, too, where we talk about Christ dividing and uniting. Reconciliation is the other word for the sacrament of, 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 um, of confession. To be reconciled means the two things being put back together as one, right? And another word for Eucharist, we talk about holy communion, that is oneness, unity. So there is a unity Christ is seeking, but it's unity with himself, uh, which sometimes means we're divided from one another, in order to stand true and be faithful, to be one with him. You know? And so, so we should seek union with, with one another, but the ground of union should not be we're going to put aside our differences. The ground of union should be we're all conforming to Christ. There you go. And sometimes what Christ is, is asking of us is uncomfortable, but that's where we need to find our unity is in Christ, in the truth of his revelation, in the fullness of the faith. Uh, and, and, and that's uncomfortable, mm. but that's where we need to go. Source and summit, source and summit, the very foundation of everything we are and believe, because as you started the show with father, it is Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity are present to us in the, in the most holy Eucharist and in the most holy sacrifice of the mass. And it's such a great gift, Father. Father, this has been a great discussion. Thank you for being our spiritual director today. As you know, we'd like to close the show with a blessing from you. So if you would, please. Lord Jesus, you call us to yourself and you want to give us your love in the sacrament of the Eucharist. Enliven all of our minds and hearts to your presence and help us to love you more. May Almighty God bless you and all of our listeners and your families. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Some wonderful insights from Father Joseph Johnson today on the show on the Most Holy Eucharist. Have a hop on over to uh, relevantradio.com slash inner life. Give it another listen and share it with others who can be inspired by that. Speaking of the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, that's coming up next, as always, here on the, on Relevant Radio. And our celebrant today is Father Brian Belongi. On Monday, taking up your cross. So we're living some of that Eucharistic life we just talked about with Father Jim Goins. Until next time, grace and peace.